and the course is set and laid out by the Lord so that we're all set on the way in the direction toward the Father, toward Christ. But each of us will have a specific course for us that will keep us on this way. And uh, how many here have ever read the book Pilgrim's Progress? Tremendous book. It's a tremendous book. Um, if, you, if you can handle the Elizabethan English. But uh, Pilgrim is he's in the city of destruction. He finds out by reading the book that God's going to destroy the city. And so he doesn't know what to do. And this man named Evangelist comes and he tells him to flee from the wrath to come and tells him to go along the way to the celestial city, points the direction. And so he leaves his family, his, his country, his home, and he begins to leave. And his neighbors come out and they all try to keep him from leaving and going along on, on the way out of the city. And so he finally leaves, gets past everyone. He's down the road, so to speak. And two people leave the city and come after him. One was called pliable and another one's called obstinate. Now, obstinate is the one the individual who does not and cannot change his mind from what he has it set in because he's obstinate. You can't change his mind, his thinking, or whatever. So he goes out and he tries to turn pilgrim back or Christian back to the city of destruction. And, and he has these different things he tells him. But one of the things that I always see when I read the book that even though at times he gets sidetracked, still the grace of God is there, comes to him to help him continue on the path and on the way in the direction that the Lord would have him go. Now in chapter 12 of Hebrews, verse 1, you have two things here. You have the help and you have the handicap. The help is the great cloud of witnesses that we looked at in chapter 11. That's the help. That's our help. We, we see them. They uh, were in the race. They finished the race. They were faithful to God. They had faith in God. So they're a help. Then you see the handicap we have in that verse, and the handicap is our sin. So you have both things moving there, the help and the handicap. Now, I want to read the beginning part of the verse from another translation. There, therefore, since we are surrounded by, by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the, the life of faith, because of that, lay aside. And who does the laying aside from last week? We do. That's the verb that is used by the writer specifically refers to something that we do. It's in our power to do it. In our power to do what? To lay aside every weight that would be any shortcoming, the faults you have, 
whatever that may be, any hindrance to you personally that you are to take and lay aside any weight, anything that, that will hold you down, regardless of what it is. He doesn't specifically say what it is because it's, it differs, I believe, between individuals. Then he says, lay aside every weight and the sin, and that would be whatever the Holy Spirit brings to you as far as you know, what you're doing that may be sin. That is to be laid aside. Lay aside every weight and every sin. The inner linary says, which constantly, this is how it interprets it, constantly be, is besetting. These things will constantly hinder you from running in the race. Any weight, any sin. So that the way is set before us. We have come to Christ. He puts us on the way, and, and there it is. Now, will we allow certain things, be it from us or coming to us, to hinder us and push us aside off of the way? Now, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you will have seen certain Christians who have deviated and have gone off of the path. Now, that does not mean that there is no hope, but that does mean that they are off the path and now they must throw themselves the mercy of God because God will come in a way to help them and bring them back. Now, the, 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 the book Pilgrim's Progress when, when he's going along, he's with Pliable, they fall into the, the slow of despond. And one of the first individuals he runs into is a man called Help, and he brings his hand down, I believe, and helps him out of the mire. And so God will send whom he will. He will bring the one, the ones, or the thing to you and I, whatever it may be, to help us out of the, the slow of despond, out of the mire and the muck, if that's where we have gone. Remember, God did not write off, or the Father did not write off the prodigal son. We as Christians write people off all the time. Okay, they've, they've deviated, and we write them off. And sometimes, you know, it can look pretty hopeless uh, when a person's tied up in their own self and their sin, that is something. They, they, they give strength once again to the carnal nature, and that becomes very difficult to be broken. God can do it. Um, he works that way to do that, but uh, that becomes something that is very difficult. In, I believe it's chapter 11 where it says, um, I'm getting sidetracked here, but that's okay where it talks about, oh, it's chapter 12, <clears throat> just for a second. This is talking about uh, Esau in verse 16, who sold his birthright uh, for one morsel. Uh, for ye know, verse 17, for ye know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance. Now, I like the marginal reading of this because it really, you know, brings to light what I believe is really moving here. It says here, uh, 
that he found no way to change his mind. See, he wanted to, but he had no way to do it. See, we can give strength to the carnal man. We can move in a certain way. Christians, you know, as I said, deviate and get, get far, far away. And they give strength to the carnal man, and they get their mind set in a certain way so that even if they wanted to, it becomes something that is very difficult then to change your mind because of many different things that come to bear upon them. So anyway, we're, we're in this race. We're to lay aside every, every weight and every sin. Now, in verse 1, if you look at the punctuation, there's no period in verse 1. There's no period till you come to the end of verse 2, and I believe this is properly punctuated, which, you know, the punctuation is not really inspired, you know. But in this instance, I believe that this is one, uh, not so much one thought, but one continuous movement here from verse 1 to verse 2. So he says here, And run with patience the race that is set before you, looking unto Jesus. Now, that is a key in the Christian walk, looking unto Jesus. Many times when uh, people come up front and I pray for them, the Lord uh, gives me this prayer to, to direct their attention to Jesus. Because if a person can have their attention upon Jesus, looking unto Jesus, then what happens is many times the things that cloud their way, the things that they see as being problems and obstacles, and they very well may be, but yet they become small and insignificant when a person begins to focus their heart now upon Jesus Christ. See, because Jesus Christ is the answer. Religion isn't the answer. You can just name one thing after the other, that man gives to man to try to give them the answer to life. But yet, the only answer that the scripture has is Jesus, Jesus Christ. Now, in Micah 7.7, 7, you don't have to turn here. I'll, I'll read it. Therefore, Micah says, I will look unto the Lord. I like that. I will look unto the Lord. And that means to watch the word look or to watch closely. You know, you can watch the Lord closely. And it's not a physical thing with your eyes. It's something that goes on here in your heart, so that in your heart, so to speak, that you are locked upon the Lord. Now, you go about your daily chores, or you, know, you go to work, you have to do this, you have to do that. But see, if, if your heart is set upon Him, and you are focused upon him, and you are looking upon him, the things that you do during the day will not affect your inner man. See, because we can't all walk around like this, you see, looking unto Jesus. Well, what's that mean? Well, it has nothing to do with the physical. It's talking about what is going on inside in the heart. Now, in verse 1, chapter 12, again, it says, or, or actually verse 2, looking unto Jesus. That means to turn the eyes away from other things and fix them upon something, or in this case, fix them upon someone. So, so there is a turning away from 
what your eyes were fixed upon, now you turn and they are fixed upon Jesus Christ. And I believe that that type of adjustment needs to be done quite a bit with Christians because of the hindrances in the world, because of the hindrance within them, and they're, 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 maybe they're, they're thinking or they're bent toward carnality or whatever. Because of all these different things, the temptations, the tests, all this have a tendency to get us out of phase. So where now the Lord must bring an adjustment to our heart to get us once again locked upon him so that once again we are where we are to be and we are walking as we are to walk. And that, that there is a work of God and that comes to those, I believe, who desire him. If there's no desire for him, many times there is no adjustment or there is no um, openness for that to occur within the Christian. Now, we use the word focus because looking unto Jesus is talking about, you know, focusing your heart. Now, the word focus has different meanings. Uh, the central point, the center of attention, that which you put your emphasis on, um, the point of convergence to where you have, you have light rays that come in, for example, uh, to a camera, a lens, or, or your lenses, and the light rays come in, and now something occurs where there's a refraction of the light and you have a convergence of the light and, and that's brought to a point that is called the focal point, which is a point of clarity or a point of clearness. So that if, if you and I as Christians are, are to have the walk that God desires for us and, and many times the, the walk that we desire, to walk in purity, to walk in holiness, to walk before him. One of the things that will have to occur is that, that there must be a convergence in our life to where the light is brought to a focal point and now we don't see anything but Jesus Christ. And see, he's well able to do that. Jesus Christ being the focal point of your life. Looking unto Jesus, the author, the beginner, and finisher of our faith, verse 2, who for the joy that was set before him, and I believe that the joy that was set before him refers to the fulfillment of the will of the Father in his life. To have that thing come to, to completion. You know, the joy that is set before you and I is that we would walk with God in this life and that we would be brought to a fulfillment of his will in your life, in my life. So that he says, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. That's the joy that will be set before you. So you see that, doing this thing right. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Endured the cross. 
Now, you know, what Jesus had to, to, to endure, we, we don't really know. This, the crucifixion was burdensome to Jesus. And, I mean, there's, I could say a lot of different things about it, but one of the things that the Lord was, was bringing to my heart, dealing with Jesus enduring the cross, was, was this. Um, turn to Isaiah 53. Jesus went to the synagogues, you, you know, and probably sat down and listened to the teachers and most likely read the scrolls himself, I would imagine. But look at this in verse 5. Could you imagine Jesus sitting there in the synagogue and listening to the scrolls read? But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our, our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. Verse 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. And, and, and he's hearing this, and he knows that these words are talking about him. Can you imagine the burden, the heaviness that came upon him? He had to endure even then, long before he gets to the cross. He, he, he had to endure and walk with God, walk with the Father in his will. He was taken from prison and from judgment and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of his land, of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was stricken. And he, was, uh, and, and he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich uh, in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. And here's Jesus sitting there, you know, listening to this. And the burden of what he's going to have to, to experience eventually is sitting upon him long before he gets to the cross. So he endured the cross. And it says, Jesus said to his disciples, if any man come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Well, that's something that we carry. It becomes burdensome. Well, what becomes burdensome? That which God has given to you and I, that is his will for our life, whatever that may be, will become burdensome, it will be a weight, and we will have to endure that, take up your cross and follow me, just as Jesus did. Now I wonder if Jesus, when he was sitting in a synagogue and he started hearing that, if he was complaining about what he's going to have to go through. Well, I don't think so. But, you know, on the other hand, we do that all the time. Okay. Now, in verse 1, it says, run with patience. So the thought here is enduring to the end. That there is to be an act of persistence as far as our walk or our run in this race. 
Now, it's, in verse 2, it says, despising the shame. Uh, one translation says, discarding its shame. And, and that means that Jesus didn't give any attention to the shame he was going to have to suffer. So, see, what we have to go through in the will of God, if we're going to take Jesus as our example, we're not to pay attention to it. Wow. <laughs> now that's, that's quite, a, quite a bit to um, take in. You know, when everything's going okay, it's no big deal, you see. But when things get a little difficult and the pressure's on, you know, and different things happen, and we're starting to feel it, Jesus endured. He didn't, he didn't pay attention to the shame because he knew it was the will of the Father. We are not to pay attention to the things that we are, we are suffering, the things that we endure, the things we have to go through. We're not to pay attention to that. That's what Jesus did. He didn't pay attention to it. Now, that's kind of hard because, you know, we are in the natural still here, you know. And things do affect us. But there's a higher power, so to speak, that can touch us and move us into these things that are impossible for us to walk in in our own self. He can do it. He can do it. Verse 3. Considering him. See, we have Jesus as an example. Jesus paid the price necessary to remain and, 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 and bring to a fulfillment the will of God in his life. See, consider him, Christian. We will have to pay a price. And remember, that is determined by God, not by us. If we are to remain in the will of God, there's a price that, that's there. Consider Jesus. He stayed in the will of the Father and died for you and I. He suffered the cross. He suffered, as it says here, um, the opposition of sinners against himself. Remember the examples. Go to chapter 11 a minute. The examples of faith. Where is it here? Um, verse 37. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder. I find that, that interesting because there's no scriptural reference in the Bible to that particular thing there, sawn asunder. And so, of course, that, that gets me to look into it. <laughs> Say, well, Lord, what's this? What's this? But in, in looking at this, the, the um, Jewish people in their, their tradition, they handed down um, this record of supposedly here, Isaiah being sawn asunder, is referring to Isaiah. That was a means of capital punishment that was very, very rarely used. But they believe that Isaiah was sawn asunder, and they believe he was sawn asunder for this reason. That Manassas was the king, they believe, who was the most evil king in Judah that they ever had. He was sawed asunder because he said, I see the Lord. 
And based upon what happened with Moses, when um, Moses passed before, or uh, the Lord passed before Moses, he says that no man shall see me and live. And so this evil king uses that scripture and says, you know, you said you saw the Lord. Okay, no man shall see the Lord and live. So saw him in half. <laughs> Talk about a misuse of a scripture. But, but those are some of the examples from the Bible of faith. Not that any of us are going to be sawn, you know, in, in half. But the point being that, you know, we are to have faith in God and walk with God. And whatever comes, comes. We have to, to, to deal with that. And we are to remain faithful to him and, and pay whatever price is necessary to stay in the will of God for our lives. So you have the sacrifice of God, sacrificing Jesus Christ for us. Then you have the sacrifice of man. There are men who sacrifice for us, who have sacrificed you know, over the years, long before we were born and since we've been born. All that is a testament. Now, in Hebrews 12, there are these four words, and I just wanted to give you some definitions of them so we have a little better idea of what they mean. But they are the words chasten, rebukes, scourge, and endure. Four words that, as I was reading this chapter, that kind of you know, jumped up and jumped out at me. The first is seen in uh, verse 5. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord. Now, the word chastening, as you well know, means discipline or teaching. Now turn to um, Proverbs 22. This is a familiar portion of scripture you could probably quote. Proverbs 22, verse 15. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Now, this type of, of chastening... Uh, could be a, a light thing as far as coming in the form of a word, or it can come in the form of some physical thing. The, the rod, that, they actually, that actually there means a, a, a rod. But in, in the book of Proverbs, you see this preventative discipline, which comes through a re rebuke, and then you see the corrective thing, which comes, it's more strong, it comes through um, this physical uh, punishment. So, so you have the whole uh, scope of the thing there. Uh, just like with a child, sometimes you can say something to them, and that's all you need to do. You can just say something in a normal tone of voice, and you know that ends the matter. They, they listen. Then there's, there's a more... Um, severe chastening where you may raise your voice and then you may go further you may may have to use a a um, I want to say a rod but uh, something a little something to spank a kid and I'll tell you sometimes it works miracle kid uh, mothers you know 
but you have this whole thing here with the chasing. Now, I want to read from the Amplified Bible from Revelation. Those whom I dearly, I really like this, this is, this is so good. You know, some Christians have the idea that if the Lord is, is chastening them, that there's something wrong. In, you know, that they, that they, they are, you know, backslidden. You know, look at the Lord's chasing me, you know, he's disciplining me, you know, and all this other stuff. But listen to this. Those whom I dearly and tenderly love. I tell their faults, oh, thank you, Lord, and convict and convince and reprove and chasten. I discipline and instruct them. So be enthusiastic and in earnest and burning with zeal and repent and change your mind and attitude. (laughs) Oh, my. Change your mind and attitude. Well, I've been on the uh, receiving end of that more than a few times. In the natural, I had a mother who, you know, she didn't spare the rod. And I mean the rod. In the spiritual, I have a heavenly father who comes to me and, and speaks words. And, and shows me. I mean, it's just so wonderful for the Lord to, to show you something that you're doing wrong. Uh, and it's not like I hear an audible voice, but you know what I mean. It's like the inner man. You, right away, you just, you know, it's wrong. Um, and I, I've mentioned a few things at work, but some things happen at work. You know, I, I don't like work, but I do like work. Because it puts me in positions that I would not normally be in. It puts me around people who I would never want to be around, really. And um, some, some of the things are not real pleasant, but, but the Lord is faithful. And, you know, it, when you're walking with God and you have an attitude towards someone, the Lord isn't going to let it go. See, if you're, you're his son and daughter... He's interested in your spiritual well-being. He's not going to let your attitude stay as it is. And so, you know, you, you say something or you do something and, you know, your heart smites you. Right away, you know, wow, that wasn't what I should have done. And, and it's the chastening of the Lord. Now, if you continue and persist in something after the Lord deals with you for so, so long, you may not even feel that anymore. Your heart might not smite you. And you may just continue in it and think it's okay. Now the Lord has to take other measures, more difficult measures, because, see, he tenderly, how did that say it? Um, Dearly and tenderly loves you. He shows you your faults. So when you see your faults, don't say, oh, my gosh, not another one. Well, it's God's faithfulness. But remember, you're not to focus on your, th- your, your, your faults and your shortcomings. Looking unto Jesus. That's, that's the main focal point 
of your life. That's what it's to be, not your faults and shortcomings. So the disobedient child, God teaches and corrects. And I like what the um, classical Greek says. It says that the definition of the word chasten is to educate. (laughs) So God is interested in your education. Now see, today we're all interested in you know, ed- education people today want their kids to go four years of college and then, you know, another two years or another four years and, you know, have a doctorate and what have you. But God has his own education, his program, his, his college, so to speak. And it's called the chastening of the Lord. See, he wants to educate you. He wants to bring you along so that Not that you're educated up here, but the education is that of the heart to where you are able now because of the chastening, because of the education he's given you, to be able to discern between good and evil. And you know what direction on the highway to go. You know, you may go this way and there's a little deviation over here, but yet... Because of the education you're receiving, you know the way you need to go. And and you see Jesus, looking unto Jesus, the beginner and the finisher of our faith. And and, and you want to see him and, and keep him as the focal point of your life so that you can continue on your way down along the way to, as we said earlier, the celestial city, uh, to the Father, however you want to say it, to the fulfillment of the will of God for your life. See, so, so, so God educates you. And without the chastening, there's, there's very little understanding. Without the chastening, your education lacks. Without the chastening, what you understand and see and perceive will be hindered. So it becomes an important thing. Now let's continue in verse 5. My son, despise not the chastening, the discipline, the teaching... Uh, of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. Now, the word rebuke means to uh, convict. And I like this this meaning here that I got from Thayer's. Because this is the crux of the matter, as far as I'm concerned. To reprove with the goal of establishing a relationship. See, that is what we need to keep in mind, that when God chastens us or rebukes us, the goal, the purpose, the thing that he is desiring here is the establishment of a relationship between you, know, you and him. And, and, uh, and maybe I should put it this way. A... Um, Establishment of 
a furtherance of the relationship, because if you're a Christian, you already have a relationship. But, but to further that, see, God will do these things that many times we don't care for, and many times we, we think that, you know, he's mean or sadistic or whatever. Because we don't see the author and the finisher. We don't see the beginning and the end. But he does. Verse 6. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. The word scourgeth, the main meaning of the word uh, is to punish. And if you look at a bunch of different translations, you'll see that many times they uh, translate this, this Greek word as, as punish. <clears throat> it means to punish or discipline. And it, that can be uh, through words or through uh, something more severe, uh, a scourging. A scourging in the scripture was a whipping, a beating. Um, this here, uh, and the meaning that is brought out here, is, is, I believe, talking about scourging or punishment through the means of affliction or trouble or something like that that, that is brought your way. See, so that if, if the Lord can get the attention of the Christian early on, that may just be a, a very light, so to speak, scourging or punishment. And he may just say something, and right away there's a response. So now, that which he has applied for discipline, there was a heeding to that, and it, became, it was a very light thing as far as, as administering that punishment. But if that doesn't work, the Lord may bring about something much stronger, where a, a thing or uh, some type of trouble or some type of pressure, the word tribulation meaning pressure, is brought to bear upon the individual so that now, you know, the Lord may get their attention. Now, that doesn't mean that everything that comes your way is, is a pressure or an affliction and a scourging. Of course, you know, these things have to be discerned in spirit. You have to, to be in tune with God. You have to, to be looking at Jesus, him being the focus of your life, him teaching you, so that you will be able to, to discern when he comes and brings a, a punishment or a scourging, if that's what's needed in, in our life. Now, now, if we're walking with God correctly, I believe that that doesn't need to occur Often, um, you know, whenever our kids were younger, there were times we had to, you know, administer some sort of discipline. But whenever you discipline a child over a period of time, and sometimes it takes quite a few years, you know, there comes a point where if there's a receiving of that discipline, you know, over the years, you know, to some degree, then... You know, the child is, so to speak, walking correctly, and they're not, you know, getting way out of line like they were before. 
And so the application of disciplinary, disciplinary measures are not needed as often. And, and I believe the Lord wants to bring us to the place where we're walking with him, where he doesn't have to come along and, and, and discipline us, you know, as often as he did years ago. See, if, if we're going to hold on to our sin, if we're going to allow certain things to cause our hearts to deviate, then we can expect, because we have a loving Father, to receive more discipline until we have progressed further on and have received from Him that which He has given for us for our education to keep us moving and walking in the way that He has set before us. And, and, and so that, that ultimately the Lord wants us to walk in a way with Him that He doesn't need to come to us and, and do that hardly at all. Now, of course, we haven't arrived. But there should be some progress. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, there should be some progress in your walk. If you're floundering, then, you know, you need to get back to some of the basics and, and you know, let him turn your heart. Now, I want to read uh, verses 5 and 6 from another translation. And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? Now, see, we would not normally interpret that as encouraging words. See, so when you tell one of your kids, okay, get in the corner and, and face the wall and stand there. Now, that's a discipline. Now, depending, you're supposed to do that the right way, you know. <laughs> but, you know, that's an encouragement. Now, we don't look at it that way, ever, do we? Uh, but I, I find that very interesting that that's how it would be translated here. And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. Verse 7, as you endure this divine, let me read it from the King James first. Um, if ye endure chastening, God deal with you as with sons, for what son is he whom the, the father chasteneth not? Uh, as you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who is never disciplined by its father? Well, I have today. They're all over the place. They, they call it love. Uh, the Bible doesn't call it love. You know, the world today calls it love. Oh, just, you just talk to your children. Stop doing that. Stop doing that. Stop doing that. And they say it 50 times, and the kid doesn't even listen. They wonder why they're holy terror or unholy terror. Instead of applying the principles in the scripture that bring about a child that will have life. It says if you don't discipline your child, that you, you hate them. You don't love them. No, you're not to, you know, kill them either, you know. 
You know what I'm saying. The word endure here in verse 7 means to remain under. Well, how long, Lord, am I going to have to remain under the chastening? Well, however long it takes. How long is the kid to be remaining in the corner? As long as it takes. I remember whenever uh, one of our children, maybe I shouldn't name which one it is. <laughs> one of our children uh, was a baby. And you know babies, they, they don't know when they're doing right and wrong. Well, that's what everybody tells you. But I'm telling you, they know. When uh, this one was a year old, we took them out of a crib and put them in bed. And this one had very strong will. You know, they're going to do what they want to do. And so bedtime came, and now they're not in the crib. Oh, I can do what I want. And so they jumped out of bed and run through the house. I said, oh, no, no, get back in bed. So put them back in bed. Jump back out. Put them back in bed. It took, is it over an hour, an hour and a half? Remember? An hour and a half of Linda and I taking 15, minute, um, 15 minutes at a, at a time holding the child in bed. I'd sit there for 15 minutes, not letting them up. And then they'd jump up. Her turn, 15 minutes. What happened was something broke in that child. That stubborn will was broken, and, and that was, a, I believe, a turning point in that individual. And I, I wonder what would have happened if we didn't do that, which probably would have been like me, though I came to the Lord, <laughs> which wasn't too great, or worse. So the training and the discipline there, applying the proper um, method at the proper time, shown to us by the Lord, broke something within at age one. Don't tell me that a child age one doesn't know what they're doing. Well, they know what they're doing. They'll, they'll wrap you around their finger like, like you know, Quick, they know what they're doing. I mean, they might not be calculating, but in here, they, they, they know right and wrong. So how long will you have to endure chastening? Well, however long it takes. It takes an hour and a half. It takes an hour and a half. If it takes five years, it takes five years. Hopefully that something is done here that brings about a, a, a change where, where there is a um, secession, a um, surrender. Now, go to chapter 12. The reason for the chastening, the rebuke, the scourging, and the enduring is seen in, in verse 9 and 10. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence, 
shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? So, so the first reason for these things is, is to live. And that uh, means here in this verse, to have richness of spiritual life. So, so, so this is a means and method by which God will enrich you. You want to be enriched? Then you're going to have to uh, be in, in sur- submission and surrender to these certain methods that God will use. And also verse 10. For they verily for a few days chastened us, chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit. So he's interested in your profit. So that you, as a Christian, would become enriched. So he's interested in, in you. If he wasn't interested in you, then he would just let you go, let you be you know, the way you want to be, let you express your own will all the time the way you want. But the loving Father he is, he brings these different things to bear upon us for our benefit, for our profit. Verse 12. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but, but let it rather be healed. Now go to Isaiah 35. <clears throat> I didn't realize that that, that was a, a quote from the Old Testament when I first read it a long time ago. Isaiah 35 Verse 3, strengthen ye the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees. Verse 8, and an highway shall be there, and a way, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over, but it shall be for those, the wayfaring men, uh, though fools shall not err-, err therein, no lion shall be there, nor any ravenous beast shall go up there- thereon. It shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. So there, there is a highway, as I said earlier, there's, there's a highway there that the Lord sets up. And now he puts the believer on that, and now there is a way. There's a way for you There's a way for me as an individual, and that is the way we will go on the highway, on that way, the way of holiness that he sets up. And there is a way that we are to move into called the way of holiness here in verse uh, 7. Now go back to Hebrews 12. The purpose for all these things that we talked about here, uh, these four words... There is a purpose, and the purpose many times goes unseen by Christians. We wonder too much. Not, not we wander, wanders too, but we wonder and, and don't allow the Lord to educate us. But see, there's a purpose behind these things, and it is seen in verse 14. We'll close with this here. Follow peace with all men and holiness 
without which no man shall see the Lord. So the result of the chastening of the Lord, the result of the rebuke, the result of um, these different things that, that are brought out, the, the punishment, the scourging, whatever it needs to be applied in our life, the result of those is that we would see the Lord. So it's almost though we, we go almost full, full circle, so to speak. Our focal point is to be Jesus Christ, looking unto Jesus. And as we look unto Jesus, the Lord will bring these different things to us as needed so that we are educated and we are brought to this place now where we can see the Lord. We have gone through the different methods that God has brought to bear on our lives. And now the results of those is seen by now being able to see the Lord. Without holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. So the way of holiness is there. We walk in it. And we will start to, to understand. We will start to see. We will see what? Well, we will see, first of all, the Lord. And we will see that he is good. We will see that that the means and methods he uses are, are correct for us, not you know, misjudging him for what he does. And God is good. And he is faithful to bring to his children that which is needed. We serve a good and faithful Lord who has your profit, your enrichment, you know, your well-being in mind. So let us come under the mighty hand of God and surrender our lives so that he can accomplish in us and through us what he desires. Amen. Well, that's the last class for Hebrews. I hope you have gleaned something from the Lord through these. I hope the Lord is able to cause your walk, your life, to be drawn closer to Him. Out of my belly, river shall flow, rivers of living.